And I'll tell you what, if something doesn't work and you just pound on it harder, it won't work even more. Like you may get compliance from your children, but mm. you're not going to get buy-in from them. They're not going to be committed to what it is you're saying, how you're leading, what you'd like them to do. Like the, the, the idea is not compliance, it's commitment. How's it guys and welcome to the Dad Syndicate Podcast. My name is Thomas Kingwell. Hope you guys are all doing well and making progress as dads and husbands and men in general. Just wanted to talk to you guys a little bit before we get into the show about how important it is to step up as a man, first of all, to perform those roles. And one of the things that a lot of people do or try and convince each other is this little saying of, oh, I'm fine just the way I am. Um, that is not true. And I want to tell you why is because since we were born, we've been developing and growing and being affected and influenced by our surroundings. And a lot of the things that we've developed and have become a part of us are not positive things, whether they be insecurities or disappointments or things that have happened in our lives that have formed us in a way that is not the best version of ourselves. These things have happened. And what we want to do is live the best version of ourselves, which means dealing with those things, facing our fears, stepping up, manning up, and owning our roles as dads and making sure that we are being the best version of ourselves. Because what you think is you is not necessarily the real you and so what we need to do is not just discover that but create it and do what we can to be the men that our families need and deserve and my guest today is perfect for helping us do that his name is ryan mickler he is the founder of the order of man and the host of the podcast by the same name really excellent ryan has been a great inspiration for doing this show as well and for starting the dad syndicate in general he tells us about his journey from living a life devoid of meaning where he blamed everyone else for his shortcomings to then taking ownership for these stepping up as a husband father and a man and starting a movement that reaches millions of men around the world to do exactly what i've been talking about ryan and i discuss many facets of fatherhood like the role of discipline and consequences developing realistic expectations of life we also talk about applying the right kinds of amounts of pressure to produce the results we desire for our kids Ryan then relates the importance of giving children responsibility and also we talk about fostering children's interests effectively so they live fulfilled and meaningful lives. It's a really action-packed and really information-filled episode. I know you're going to enjoy it and let us know what you think, guys. Check us out on Facebook, check us out on Instagram and share this with as many dads as possible. Really appreciate your support and hope you enjoy this. Ryan, really my honor to welcome you to the Dad Syndicate podcast, man. Thanks, Tom. Glad to be here, man. I've been looking forward to it. Yeah, it's been about a year since I started this as a product of uh, being part of the Iron Council and as my battle plan. So it's pretty cool to have you on here. I wanted to save you for number 50. So awesome. really rad to have you. I'm honored. How, yeah, how are things going, man? Good. Yeah, just chugging along, staying busy. Uh, it's been more productive over the past four weeks than I've been in a very long time. So I uh, can't complain about the progress and everything that's going on right now. Yeah, I just saw that actually. I think for myself, I kind of used the time as well. I think a lot of guys kind of just veg out i think it's a it's really a cool time to actually take take stock and to make that progress but anyways let's talk about your family so who makes up the mickler family uh myself my wife and my four kids i've got a 12 year old a nine year old a six year old and a four year old so we've got a full house and then we've got a couple of dogs and soon to chi soon to be chickens and things like that as well so <laughs> yeah. we've got a full house around here yeah, I've been thinking about the dog, but we've got a one-year-old baby, and I'm not going to lie, today is one of those days, maybe you can see it in my eyes, I think today's one of those days where when the kids hit the sack tonight, I was like, ah, okay, good. You yeah. ever get those? 
Yeah, I think it's it's you know it's it's not like the pleasant thing to admit that sometimes you're exhausted and you want your kids to just go to sleep. But I don't think that's unnatural. I think that's pretty normal. I certainly get that way. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> So how, how do you do it, actually? I mean, how do you run all the podcasts that you do? Because, I mean, I've, I've kind of modeled a little bit around you, and I did the Tribe Builder course with you, obviously. So I have, like, yeah. an individual podcast that I've changed to Monday today, actually. Mm-hmm. And then I have, like, a little Q&A thing that I've started, and then I have the interview podcast. And I must say that, like, tonight, like, I have to find that balance between putting the kids to bed but then also having some time for my wife and I afterwards. How do you manage to balance all the things that you're doing? Uh, there's, there's two main reasons and we can break this down a little bit further, but, uh, there's two main ways I should say. Number one is maximum efficiency. Like if you're not efficient with your time, then yeah, things are going to spill over into each other. You're going to be guilty be- or feel guilty because you haven't accomplished what you want to accomplish over here at work. And then, you know, you'll be at home with a family and you feel guilty because you know, you have things to do at work, but you shouldn't feel like work should take priority over your family. So you feel guilty about that. But how much time do we waste? throughout the day, just dinking around on our phones or Facebook or whatever, whatever your, your choice of distraction is. And think about if you could reclaim that time and put it in towards, towards the things that are important to you, uh, then you're, then you're maximally efficient. Uh, I also do something called task stacking. Like today, for example, uh, I was, uh, one thing I do, and you and I have called head calls about this, but every quarter I, uh, talk with each team leader uh, inside of the Iron Council. <clears throat> and uh, I've been doing that over the past couple of weeks. But today, uh, I had six calls in a matter of a couple hours. And I simply went outside and went for a walk. I was walking for two hours. And so that was part of my exercise throughout the day. But I was also accomplishing things because I was mm-hmm. doing work. So there's things that you can stack on top of each other that make your day as efficient as possible. Uh, outside of that is creating clear boundaries. There has to be a boundary between work and play, play and family time, hobby and seriousness, reading and whatever else you have going on. It's very, very important that you have it. Uh, up until recently, uh, with before coronavirus fallout, I think most men had that to some degree in their professional and personal life because they would go to work somewhere, right? Go to work, come back. That's when work would shut off and now they're at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot more men know now are are at home, right? And so... The kids are bouncing off the wall and they're playing with the kids and they're in their house and they're trying to work in their basement or wherever their office is. And there's no clear set boundary or expectation about what this boundary is. So you've got to have those those walls in place. You've got to communicate what they are and then enforce and uphold them, which is sometimes the hardest thing to do, especially when your little kid wants to play with you, for example. <laughs> yes. Well, there's one thing I wanted to, I mean, there's a couple of things you mentioned there that I want to come back to, but I, I want to talk to you about your relationship with your wife, because it's something that I've always admired a lot. And I follow her also on Instagram and I'm, I'm inspired by what she's doing. I'm obviously inspired by what you're doing. And um, how do you guys communicate and how do you maintain that understanding and support for one another without there being miscommunications and areas for argument? Because I'll be honest with you, I starting this and getting used to that and being a full-time teacher at the moment still, except uh, at the moment with Corona, I'm obviously at home running it from home. Mm-hmm. And then having the four kids, that is probably the biggest challenge for me personally. And I'm sure a lot of guys listening to this, balancing that between them and their wife and keeping a peaceful kind of uh, solidarity kind of front with the kids in this situation is very challenging. How do you guys do that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've been doing it so long now, you know, our oldest is 12 years old. So a lot of it is, is choreographed and orchestrated and we found our rhythms, uh, and, it works well for us because of that. Now that's not to say that we don't have conversations outside of what we assume each one of us will do, 
But we've stepped into these roles. We've discussed these roles. And like I said, for the past 12 years, we've been married. It'll be 16 years this year, but uh, but our oldest is 12. So for 12 years, we've been doing this, right? And just like anything, you get good with practice. If you were to work in a profession for 12 years, obviously you'd probably get pretty efficient and, and decent at it. You know, that being said, um, we talk every single morning, specifically as a family, you know, what are we going to be doing today? What are the kids doing? What are you and, uh, you and I as, as uh, mother and father, husband and wife doing? Uh, we, we talk about money issues, you know, where's the income coming from? What unknown expenses do I have coming up? Who needs to take who where? That doesn't apply as much over the past four weeks as it has. Um, but we're having these conversations every single day, every single morning. And we also do that in the evening too, around the dinner table. Like it's crucial that families have dinner together and it's an increasing rarity that families do. It's unfortunate because you can learn about your kids, figure out what they're learning, teach them, guide them, coach them, discipline them. Uh, all of you are now getting on the same page and uh, there's no uh, unspoken expectations about what's gonna be happening. You know, occasionally, uh, for example, I think it was yesterday or the day before, my kids were just wild. You know, they're just wild, out of control to the point where it was not only annoying, but it was inappropriate. Like, you know, you know how they get sometimes? Mm. So <laughs> No, not at all. You will. Yeah, you will. <laughs> no, I do. Don't worry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, you, uh, yeah. So anyways, we were sitting around the, the dinner table and I said, hey, you know, before we pray and before we have dinner, let me talk with you guys about something. And we just had a very serious conversation about how, you know, you can have fun and you can play and you can joke, but you can't be inappropriate. You can't be bouncing off the walls. You can't be doing these things in the way that you behave today. And if you are, we'll just send you outside. We'll put you to work. Like there's things we can get you to do. Uh, and, and if that's what you choose to do, then it means to us that you're bored and we got to put you to work. So you can either toe the line the way that we expect you to, or you're just going to go to work. And we all got on the same page and then we prayed and had dinner and we had a great conversation because we talked mm. about it. And mm. I just don't think enough conversations are happening, not only between father, mother, and children, but between husband and wife. And those types of conversations are crucial. You know, it's funny because a lot of people, when they go to bed or get done with their day, a lot of married couples or, or couples with children is, you know, they'll get done with their work day. They'll, they'll reconvene to some degree with the family and the kids. And then when the kids go to bed, they usually go to bed way too late. That's another issue we can talk mm -hmm. about. The kids go to bed way too late. Uh, and then if there's any time left over, you know, mom and dad sit their ass on the couch and, and watch tiger movies or whatever. And <laughs> Is that happening there too? I instead think it's of like worldwide. It's stupid. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's like a ridiculous waste of time. I mean, you could talk right. about things, you could read a book, you could work mm. on a project. There's so many different things that you can be doing than zoning out and looking at, looking at these types of things. So anyways, there's there, that goes back to the efficiency I was talking about earlier, you know, look, look at how you're spending your time and is it where you want to be spending your time and is it uh, moving the needle forward in the way you want it to? Mm. It's interesting that you said that because I was just feeling the exact same way about dinner tonight. I was sitting there thinking like, okay, this is a lovely thing to do. And I know that meeting with your family and having dinner, because we have every meal together at the moment. I'm sure you do as well. And um, I was just looking at my kids and going like, oh my gosh, like I know this is supposed to be important, but tonight I just feel like sending them up, up to their rooms or doing something. But I think putting them to work sounds like a cool idea. But anyway, I mean, you've come, you've come, you've come a long way in the last 10 years or last 12 years. And I know you've probably spoken about this a lot, but being on this podcast, maybe there's some guys that haven't heard about how you came to this point and how you changed your life. I mean, there's pictures floating around um, of you 12 years ago that you posted on Instagram before and the change is quite remarkable not just in appearance but in the whole attitude and I think what's cool about that is that a lot of guys looking at this and in fact I posted yesterday you know about um, 
Jesus, you know, rising from the dead and coming back, you know, and resurrecting and how a lot of guys feel that they're down and out and they feel that's it. Whereas you were someone in the, that exact same position and not only have you risen out of that, that now you're leading other men to step up and be who they're supposed to be. So I don't know if you just want to do a brief uh, summary of what happened there and, and how you ended up on the, on the trail or the path to the order of man to where it is today. Yeah, one of my favorite quotes, and I'm paraphrasing because I'll butcher it, is something to the effect of each night when I go to bed, I die. And when I wake up in the morning, I'm reborn. And that's always stuck out as being really, really important advice. You know, it's a really important proverb, if you will, because we all have the opportunity to remake ourselves each and every day. And even, even more fundamentally than that, each and every minute, right? Like mm. what you do today, the way that you show up, the way you engage, how focused you are, how dedicated and disciplined you are. Uh, do you have vision? Are there things that you want to accomplish? Are you moving towards those things? Are you good at saying no to the things that distract you from what you ultimately want. These are all decisions that we can make on a daily basis, if not every single minute, thousands and thousands of decisions. Uh, you know, before, before I started down this order of man path and really get myself on track, it, it, that's not what I was doing. I was not capitalizing on every moment and I was letting myself being tossed and, and, and just wandering around wherever, you know, life would take me. And it seems that, unless you exert yourself against circumstances, they're going to take you down a path that you're not interested in going. I mean, that's the natural evolution of things, right? You actually, as a human being, have to fight against that. I think that's part of not only the human condition, but just the animal's kingdom, you know, position generally is that the world is trying to kill you quite literally. And it's your job to fight against that. And the more effective and efficient you become at it, the more fulfilled you'll live you'll live a longer life and, and you'll be more satisfied in your life as well. Uh, but I wasn't living that kind of life. And my wife and I years ago, this was 11 years ago now, went through a separation and I blamed her for a lot of what went wrong between, between us and our relationship. But the minute that I began to take accountability and responsibility for my part to play in it, which is something I hadn't done, I had put it all on her. Why was she disloyal? Why wasn't she doing the things a quote unquote good wife should do? Why didn't she appreciate all the work and everything that I was putting in for her and the family? Um, we went through the separation and through that journey in the darkest time of my life, I learned to really work on myself, go to work on myself. And, and I started to, and I've used this term in the past, is to make myself the project. And that's what you want to do. You want to make yourself the project. It's very difficult for you to be down and frustrated and out and discouraged and even depressed when you're actively get engaged in a meaningful pursuit. And for me, it was about getting my fitness back in order. It was about getting my business under control. It was about dialing in the finances and ultimately getting back with my wife and, and my one-year-old son at the time. And as I focused less on her through that separation, which is what I initially did, uh, but as I focus less on her and more on myself, she responded positively to that. That's influence, right? We can't change other people. We can't dictate what they do or how they behave or what they think and say, but we can influence those things. And we do that by focusing on ourselves. So I started to turn that projective attitude of like, what's wrong with her to what's wrong with me? What do I need to fix? And then I started to shore up those areas and ultimately she was influenced positively through that. Uh, you know, fast forward, I, I eventually, I got, I got things, her and I salvaged our marriage and, and fixed that. Um, I uh, started to succeed and thrive in the financial planning business and then ultimately decided that I wanted to have a different conversation because I had another podcast with my financial planning practice. It was called Wealth Anatomy. 
and it was a podcast geared towards offering financial services to medical professionals. And it did very well. I did about 20 episodes or so and realized I love this medium, but I don't want to continue to have this conversation. So I, uh, I shifted gears uh, five years ago, a little over now, and started the Order of Men podcast. And from day one, it just took off, which is a testament to the fact that men want this information. A lot of men are in very similar situations as, as I was. They want to take control of their lives. They want their their wife and their boss and their colleagues and coworkers and everybody else they interact with their children to respect uh, them and to be influenced positively by them. They want to lead uh, and they want really want to just step into what it means to be a man. So we had these conversations starting five years ago. And like I said, it's just been a phenomenal, phenomenal process. And we've been able to help thousands of men. And in the meantime, uh, I've grown immensely through the work as well. So it's been a cool ride. Mm. Yeah, it is a ride, I must say. I, I enjoy talking to guys. It's amazing, man. Like some of your friends that I've talked to, Bert Starr and Brandon Lilly, I mean, these are really quality guys. And, and to get not get caught up in numbers and these kind of things, but just get, you know, get into the conversations and be influenced by these guys and being able to have these chats like every week for me is amazing. I just talked to another friend of yours, Tanner Guzzi. That was pretty cool the other day. And Who did you say? I'm I sorry? Just, Tanner? Oh, yeah. Tanner Guzzi? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, He's these guys, friend. just to, yeah, just to be able to do this and stuff. And I think it does, I think mixing with these guys and definitely spending time with these guys. But maybe we can move on to a little bit about what, it, what the order man is about and, and the three things, which is protect, provide, preside. Sure. Do you want to just uh, break that down a little bit for us? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, at its, at its like most fundamental level, uh, the, the goal of order of man is to equip men with the tools, uh, resources, knowledge, information, conversations that they need to become more capable whatever role they're filling, whether that's a husband, a father, a leader in their community, owner of a business, employee, teacher, coach, mentor, brother, whatever, wherever they're stepping up, I want to give them what they need to be able to be effective in that role. Uh, and, and I've noticed that generally, as I'm, I've talked with, with close to 300 interviews at this point now, I think, we're, I think we're close to doing 600 podcasts at this point, but 300 interviews, uh, when I ask men what it means to be a man and their their thoughts about who they are as men, generally when they respond, it falls into one of three camps, and that is protect, provide, preside. And if you look at most cultures throughout all of time in history, uh, men have been viewed as those three things, the protectors, the providers, presiders, synonymous, synonymous with leadership. Uh, and if I can help men step into those roles by giving them what they need, uh, we do that a lot through obviously the conversations we're having and being able to pick the brains of some of the best and brightest minds and the mm. strongest, toughest, most successful men on the planet. Uh, and then we have other opportunities that are available, whether it's digitally or in person where we're banding together now with other men and we've created the environment that fosters a healthy sense of accountability, responsibility, camaraderie, even competition, all encouraging and fostering growth within each other and then holding our feet to the fire as well. Yeah, I know. I remember the competition very well. A lot of the Iron Council competitions really, like, really drove me to do things I probably would never have done in my life, like rucking with 120 pounds through the forest in the middle of the night. Right. But um, yeah, it hardened me. It made me tougher for sure. So anyways, let's, let's talk about uh, restoring and reclaiming masculinity and why that is so important in this day and age. Yeah, I mean, that's one of our taglines. We've got a few that, that I use over and over again, and one of them is the mission and the goal to reclaim and restore masculinity. <clears throat> um, you know, if you think about your grandfather, generally, and I know there's exceptions to this, but if we think about generally our grandfathers, the greatest generation, these were hardened men. These were tough men. They were resilient, gritty, uh, resourceful. They were physically strong, capable, able. 
uh, and they really uh, edified what it meant to be a man, a protector, a provider, and a presider. They went off to war. They came back. They, they went to the factories. They did backbreaking and manual labor to make sure that their families were taken care of. These were ma manly men. Uh, and I feel like we've moved into even more so over the past, I would say, 20 to 30 years, this life of life of ease and comfort and no stress whatsoever. You know, you're a little cold, you turn the heater on, uh, you want some groceries, you run down to the grocery store when that was a thing before coronavirus, uh, or you could go to the restaurant, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. You know, so there's, th we again, we just live in this life of just complete ease and it's made us mm. weak and it's made us pathetic and soft. And so anymore, and I was talking with uh, Jack Donovan, yeah. Uh, you know Jack, yeah. Did, has yeah, Jack been on your? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, he was on two, two, three podcasts ago. Okay, yeah. So yeah. Jack's a friend of mine, and 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 he said, one time when we were talking, he says, you know, Ryan, we have to choose to be men. Like it, it's not long, it's no longer a mandatory thing. It's an optional thing. You have to choose mm. to be a man. And usually when I say that, people are like, well, no, a man's just born with a certain anatomy. No, that's that's a male. <laughs> sure, like anybody can be born a male. But. To be a man is something different. It's a greater calling. It's 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 more that you have to do. It's above and beyond just your anatomy, right? Mm. So, but but males aren't required to be men. They can remain perpetual little boys forever in the ease in which we live. So, if if you want to be a man and you want to restore and reclaim what that actually means, then you need to exert yourself. You need to put yourself under voluntary hardship. I mean, one thing I did even just before we jumped on the call today is I, I told you I spent two hours mm. doing my walk. But what I didn't say is that it's pouring outside. And so I came back in and I was drenched from head to toe. I mean, there wasn't a dry spot on my entire body. And some people, I'm sure there's people driving by our field looking at me like, who is this moron out here? I'm sure there's people <laughs> like that. But yeah. at the same time, like it's harder for a reason. I want it to be harder, not for the sake of being hard, but for the fact that it toughens me up. It reframes hardship. It gives me a new way of looking at things. When, when I am caught, you know, changing the tire, for example, on my car and it happens to be raining, I already have some, some perspective on this. Cause I just spent two hours in the pouring rain and it was fine, you know? So that gives me, uh, a different perspective, a different viewpoint and a hardened way to look at things. So yeah, men really need to place themselves under physical, mental, emotional strain uh, in order to flex all of those muscles, but literally and figuratively uh, to become stronger, more capable. And that way, when shit hits the fan, and it will, we're seeing that now. And it has. Right, yeah. <laughs> when shit hits the fan, you'll be capable of dealing with it. You won't turn into a little screaming baby and go cry in the corner and, and, and produce nothing while other people are looking to you. Your wife is looking mm. to you. Your children are looking to you and what does your behavior and your capability and your preparedness say about the type of man, leader, protector, provider that you actually are. If you find mm. yourself wanting in that day, um, man, what a shame. What yeah. a shame. You've had all this opportunity to grow and expand and to become more resilient and you watch tiger movies like we were talking about earlier. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not. I'm actually off TV now. I've gone off TV Good. the last couple of weeks because Great. I just realized the time that it wastes and exactly those conversations. I'm reading books. I'm fin When I read that you'd read six books, I was like, okay, okay, I'm going to go. I've, I, I've, I'm finishing a couple, so it's cool at the moment. I'm reading yeah. Ryan Holiday's Stillness is the Key and then a novel at the same time. Um, but yeah, I mean, the problem with society, it's, it's interesting now. I saw another post that you made about like almost people are upset 
that people are positive in the moment. And I was speaking to Kip actually, which was amazing. I had a really amazing conversation with Kip on here and he just, the wisdom that he dropped as a father was something new to me because I've been obviously on the Iron Council with him and he's always dropped wisdom, but he was just so great. But we said exactly that. I said, by being in the Iron Council and being in the order of man, it really prepped me a little bit more for the situation that when the pandemic hit, I really have been pretty calm and almost feeling guilty about that in some strange way. And I saw that post where kind of like, People are saying, you know what it's like. I mean, you have to be politically correct. You can't say this. You can't say girls and boys are different. And now people can't say, you can't tell people to be positive anymore, basically. Yeah. And I don't, just want I to mean, comment on that. Well, I thought that was very interesting. Look, that's not a mainstream idea. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know how many people actually believe that, but I was sent a quote or something and it said that you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be encouraging positivity because it's easy for you to say when, when you're in that position, they weren't talking to me. They were just speaking in generality. Okay, okay. Uh, and, and that there are some people in a worse position. So when you say, you know, be positive and have a, have a good outlook, then it makes those who are in a bad situation feel bad about themselves or the situation they might find themselves in. And I think it actually in the, in the caption went on to say something to the effect of, I, I think the term they used was, uh, happiness privilege, I think, is the term they used. Oh, no. You know, this this is victim mentality at its best. You know, this is let's let let's have everybody be the same. That way, nobody mm. feels bad. This is the this is the antithesis of the participation trophy generation. This is what it turns into, uh, and it means don't don't everybody thrive. I mean, I had I made a post early on Instagram today, and I had a couple people say, "Oh man, like slow down. Let, you're starting to lap us, or you're catching up to us, or or." something along, or we can't catch up. And I said, yeah, they were saying it tongue in cheek. They were joking, but yeah, yeah, yeah. there's actually people who believe that. Like, why are you going so fast? You're making me look bad. Well, that's nothing to do with you. <laughs> like, I'm not thinking about you as I'm trying to excel in my life. And I'm certainly not going to throttle back uh, because you're uncomfortable with the speed at which I go. Like if you're yeah, uncomfortable yeah. with it, you can do one of two things. You can speed up yourself and I'd actually encourage you to do that and I'll help you do it. Or you can, shut the hell up and just go on with your life and not worry about what I'm doing. Like those are the two choices that you have yeah. catch up I mean, or yeah. just be quiet. Hmm. No, I think for our families it's necessary. And I think, I, I don't, I think it is a little bit mainstream. I mean, it might not be completely mainstream that idea, but I've seen a lot of posts Hey, you don't have to do anything right now. All you have to <laughs> yeah. do is just be, you can, and I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense at all because this is the time when you have to do the most. This is when you should be standing up, the most in my perspective. I mean, I've never seen anywhere in my entire life more people fight for the idea of mediocrity. <laughs> now, look, yeah. if you want to be mediocre, that's fine. You know, if you have an average relationship, you've got an average job, you make an average income, you've got a few pounds around the midsection, and you're comfortable with that, all the power to you. That's great. Fine, whatever. You're not, you're not going to resonate with what either of you, you and I are doing, but that's fine if you're doing your thing. But to encourage other people to do that, to be miserable because you are, or to be like you because you have chosen not to thrive, not to excel, that's a whole nother level of mm. stupidity, frankly. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, when it's yourself, you know, like I've spoken on the podcast before, you know, when I didn't have kids, it was okay to make kind of different decisions. It, it wasn't good because I should have prepared myself better for when I did have kids, but at the same time, I wasn't responsible. But I look at guys and I drive around and, and unfortunately because I have a dad podcast and because I have four kids and because I make them my focus and I step up because of them, I, I look at these things and I think it's quite damaging because it's not 
that guy that is feeling comfortable. It's those kids in that guy's life that then watch him and see that that's how dad is. And being comfortable ourselves is one thing. But when we are comfortable, I don't think that we really do our wives a, a service. And I don't think we, we step up for our kids and do them any favors either. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to marry somebody and you're going to bring kids into the world, then you have a moral obligation to give them everything they possibly can to have a leg up. I'm not talking about handouts. I'm not talking about making it easy on them. I'm not talking about refraining from showing them any sort of physical, mental, or emotional hardship. Part of that responsibility to give them everything they need, all the tools and resources they need to thrive, is to show them what that actually looks like. Like, you can't teach anybody, whether you're a dad or a coach or an employer, some sort of team leader or boss, you cannot teach anybody above and beyond what you're capable of doing. You can't, mm. right? Like you can only teach to your same level. That's it. You know, and eventually people will, will evolve and they'll move on or they'll learn new things and have new influences that allow them to grow past you potentially, which is what you want. Like that's what I want for my kids. I want them to have more opportunities and more success and more fulfillment and more happiness in their life than I do. Mm. Uh, that requires me setting the bar as high as I possibly can and allowing other men and other people to be influences in their life as well so that they, they can see from that. You talked about Brandon Lilly, for example. He's a mm. good friend of mine. He was here at our place several months ago, and uh, my kids got to interact with Brandon you know, and spend time with him and learn from him and talk with him, and that's cool. That doesn't threaten me. Like I, I actually want them to be exposed to that. Same thing with Bert Soren and some of these other guys mm. that they've had an opportunity to meet because these guys come to our house, and we've done podcasts. We've had Navy SEALs over here. We've had strongmen like Brandon Lilly, successful business owners like like Bert and Pete Roberts with origin. Like my kids know these men and they can learn a lot from them just like they can learn from me. Hmm. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure if you were some mediocre kind of average dude, I don't think you'd be spending time with those guys and exposing your kids to those guys either. No, I, I mean, those, those, those types of individuals aren't interested in just hanging out with people who are coasting. Like they want, they want to hang around high achievers too. So if you want to attract that, then you've got to be that, right? You can't, you can't attract that, which you're, you're not capable of attracting. So you, you've got to, mm. you've got to step up and you've got to, you really got to step into it. If that's what the kind of men you want to be around. I mean, look at your, mm. look at your, look at your circle. Like if, if your circle is a bunch of, bunch of peers who are doing the same thing as you or, or not even to that level, like you got to reevaluate that and think about how can I get uh, involved with, with other men who are doing bigger, better and greater things than I am. It's interesting, though, because here in Germany, I mean, you know, I live in Bavaria. We've had many discussions of where I'm from or you were confused or Kip was confused about where I'm from. Yeah. So I'm from South Africa where it's quite similar to American culture. And so I had friends like that. But it is quite difficult here, I have to admit. So, I mean, I really appreciate being able to talk to you guys. I'm almost a little bit bummed that I don't live there because I know that actually spending time or coming to the main event, which, which I would love to do as well one day, it definitely makes a difference between actually being with those guys. And I think a lot of people get stuck into Internet and think that this is what actually brings it, but being physically there is important. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, another thing I wanted to ask you, because we mentioned about that, and I know when I look at what my kids do, it's no surprise my little four-year-old is doing downhill mountain biking already. Why? Because I do it. And there's no, like my son is, you know, my son wants to do seal fit. He's taken my seal fit book. He's like nine and he's trying to do it. So obviously they're learning from my example, but how, this is an interesting question because people look at me and just like they look at us, like we're crazy walking around in the, in the rain or at night with um, a ruck on of like loads of pounds. I mean, people here definitely look at you like, what the hell is this guy doing? Right. How much, how much pressure or how much discomfort should we put on our, 
I would say both our kids, but I would say especially our sons. How do you think we can harden them up? Is it is it? Do you believe that we need to put that pressure on them a little bit and expose them to hardships at a young age already yeah. to prepare them for life? Yeah, no, I, th- I think you do need to put that pressure because if you don't do it, who's going to do it? Like society isn't going to demand too much of them, and then, and they're going to coast and they're going to be they're going to assume that mediocrity is is the best course of action because it's easy, right? It's easier than having pre- pressure placed on you. Uh, you know, you got to look at your result if, if to determine how much pressure you're putting on, right? If the pressure that you're putting on your children is fostering growth and you see them getting stronger and, and tougher and more resilient and more focused, then you know you're applying appropriate levels of, of, of stress and strain. If you're producing the exact opposite, that your children hate you, they resent you, uh, maybe they get injured or sports that used to be fun are no longer fun. They don't even want to play anymore because you push too hard on them. Mm. Then you know, okay, well, maybe I've pushed too hard to the point where now we're producing inferior results. So just like anything, you ha- if you want to know if something's working, just look at the results. It's the, the, the scripture, by their fruits you shall know thee, right? Whatever yeah. fruits, whatever, whatever your children are performing to, you know that you're, you're producing that in one form or the other, either positively or negatively. So if you, if you see them breaking, then that's <laughs> yeah. probably an indicator that, oh, maybe I got to scale back. And that scaling back might even just be temporary. Maybe it's just a temporary reset. Mm. Uh, but, but you really got to consider if you're, if you're undermining yourself or if you're actually producing the desired result for your children. Because it's not mm. just to be a hard ass. Like that's not the point of placing pressure on yourself or anybody else. I mean, that's the result. You will become a hard ass, but (laughs) the, the, the point is resiliency, grit, fortitude, stamina, all the things that are going to be required this day and age to succeed and thrive. I think communication plays a huge part. I think you talked about it earlier. I think it's that bond and that relationship. I think in my day or a little while ago, there was this, and it's happening at school today as well, where teachers are very soft on kids and don't want consequences anymore. In fact, I've had colleagues disagree with me with consequences. And I'm like, this kid just needs a consequence. They need to understand that there is a consequence for an action. That's life. And they like not like that. But I think that what they're doing is they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater because in, in my day at school, teachers didn't explain anything to me. Do you get mm-hmm. what I mean? They just punished me, right. smacked me. We got whacked at school, like full on, like in front of a whole class. I got pulled in front of a whole class and given three whacks with a plank. And we had to walk out there without crying and we high-fived each other afterwards. I actually love those <laughs> things. I know it sounds mad, but I love those memories. But they didn't explain it to us. And I think what they're not understanding is the importance of talking to our kids. And so how do you, how do you talk with your kids and form those bonds and those relationships and that communication? And, and what level is it? Because it's good to be, there has to be a difference between dad and friend. Some people at the moment are hitting too much on the friend level, in, in my opinion, as a teacher. Yeah, I mean, I, I have the, the, the fortunate opportunity to really understand what it means to be a coach, right? And a coach can be friendly, but a coach is not a friend, right? And so that's the same thing as a father. You can be friendly, but you, you should never step out of the mantle of fatherhood in order to be a friend. That's a lower tier. Like that's a peer level thing. Friends are great, but that's not the level that we as men and fathers should be operating at. So you do have to, I don't want to say elevate yourself, but you do have to understand that it's your role to lift that child up, right? Not just hang out and be buddies with Okay, so so understanding that framework is the most important thing. What your job is, what your role is, and the position, the valuable position in which you play. Now from there, the conversations that you have are centered around that. What's going to help this child be the best, thrive, succeed, do whatever it is they're trying to do. 
for me, I, I, I typically will share stories, specifically with my oldest son, share stories of things that I went through that were similar when he was that age, or excuse me, when I was that age. So if he, he's kind of into girl, he's getting into girls now and he's been talking about uh -huh. this one girl in particular <laughs> and cool. he's been awkward about, yeah, it is. It's great. It's the natural order of things. Right. And so he's talking about this one girl he likes and he's been embarrassed a little bit to tell me. And I'm like, what? like, he finally told me the other day. I'm like, why were you embarrassed? He's like, yeah. I'm like, why? He's like, I don't know. It feels weird. I'm like, yeah, it definitely feels weird. And I talked about the first girl that I had a crush on. Right. And we spent some time in the field. We walk a lot. Uh, and, and we talked about this girl and we talked about how he feels about it. And I told him like how I felt and I was awkward when I first started liking girls and we had a great discussion, you know, it wasn't, it, it really did nothing like specific came of it except for that. I influenced him. He feels more comfortable. He knows he can turn to me now. Uh, and then I'm never afraid or shy away from having difficult conversations, whether that's money, religion, sex, drugs, pornography, all the important things that most people skip over that because it's really awkward and uncomfortable. We have those conversations because he needs to know those things. And we do it based on maturity level and what's appropriate <laughs> and what isn't, you know, but, um, yeah. but yeah, we, we have those conversations and we're open and receptive to it. Uh, one thing that my wife and I made a decision on a long time ago is we don't tease our kids about things that they should be doing. And that is normal. Like we've never, you know, how some dads will tease their kids about girls. It's like, why in the hell would you tease your kid about liking a girl? Like, isn't that actually the point is to find a, a, a feminine partner that he can eventually partner with and live their life in a meaningful and significant way. And you're undermining that by teasing him. Like what a shitty thing to do. So my wife and I decided a long time ago, is like, we want our, I want my sons to be interested in girls and be willing to date them and ask them out and be intrigued and fascinated by them and have a, a healthy relationship. I'm, I, we decided we're not going to undermine that by teasing him, mocking him, ridiculing him and poking fun at him when he does something that we actually think is a good and positive thing. So you have to be really careful how you're talking to your kids and what you're speaking, even when you're not saying anything, right? Hmm. But it's interesting with different kids. I mean, I've got twins, a boy and a girl, and they couldn't be, you know, more different than than you can imagine. And um, you've got the four, you've got the three boys, and then the one girl. How how do you approach? Firstly, they're different ages, and then from what I've picked up, they're completely different personalities. In fact, you said your little ones like Tristan from Le Legends yeah. of the Fall, which yeah. I really digged. <laughs> so how do you crazy. then? How does the different the different ways of relating to them? Because I think that what happens a lot of times is that people read these parenting books and you know one size fits all. This is the way to parent, which we both know with having four kids, you know very much that what goes for that kid doesn't necessarily go for that kid and, and managing it in a way yeah, that I mean, balances it out. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, just when you think you have it figured out, the kids change the rules, right? I mean, and they <laughs> they they in a lot of ways do create those rules, so you have to keep it within a certain set of parameters in order for this to be successful. But yeah, I mean, just realizing everybody's different. You know, my oldest is tend, tends to be a little bit more tender, uh, a little bit more in tune with the way people feel, even how he feels than like my my second's not like that. He's, he's not, he's not responsive that way, but he's, he's very intelligent. He's sharp. He just, he could sit in his room all day and just play Legos and build and be creative and think through problems. Cool. And I'm like, why is he in there by himself to my wife? And she's like, he just likes being in there. It's not that he's, he's not social or can't be social or isn't interested in people. Like he's just, this is his thing, you know? So you start to evaluate this. You start to see what they respond well to. And again, it comes back to the result. You know, if you want your child to do something, for example, like do the, do the dishes, right? We'll just use that as an example. Well, the way that I'm going to get my oldest son to buy into that, it's going to be different than the way I'm going to get my second son to buy into that. And 
I, I want to produce that outcome. I just had to think, what is the most effective strategy for producing the desired outcome? And it's a process of experimentation. And you're going to say, well, that didn't work. And that did work. And I'll tell you what, if something doesn't work and you just pound on it harder, it won't work even more. Like you may get compliance from your children, but mm. you're not going to get buy-in from them. They're not going to be committed to what it is you're saying, how you're leading, what you'd like them to do. Like the, the, the idea is not compliance, it's commitment. You know, when I talk mm. to chores, for example, uh, with my kids, it isn't do it because I said so. I could say that and they would comply because they'd be scared, right? There'd be discipline, mm. there'd be consequence. So I got them to comply. That isn't the goal. It's to be committed to the household. So what that means is that, hey, when we want you to do the dishes, that's part of your responsibility. And by the way, if you're going to complain about the dishes, then we'll just take the dishes away and you can eat off the floor if you want. <laughs> like, that's the thing. Like, it, if man. you're going to complain about the negative thing, then mm. you don't get to reap the reward or benefit of that thing. Like, mm. Everything has responsibility. Everything worth anything like plates and silverware has responsibility, meaning we need to wash it. So if you don't want to wash it, fine. If you don't want to make your bed, fine. You don't get your bed. You can lay on the floor. That's fine. Which one would you like to do, right? These are very rational discussions and they've mm. seemed to work with varying mm. degrees based on personalities. But you figure that <laughs> stuff out as you, like my, my fourth, I was, you were saying, Tristan. He's four, right? Yeah, he's four. Yeah. If I said sleep on the floor, he'd like, sweet, got it. I'll sleep on the floor. And he would do it out of spite, you know, just to get you. So it's just different for every single one of them. Oh, four years old. My little boy James is four as well, man. He's just, it's right? such a cool, isn't it a cool little age? It's difficult because he's also so, I don't know, he loves to be defined. And I don't know what he does. He just comes and whacks me sometimes, like for no reason. Like, yeah. I was like get away from me, man. That's <laughs> so, crazy. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it is. And um, and then also, it's amazing because what we do is, is a similar thing to you. What I do is I say to my kids, listen, if you're not going to do this, at the end of the day, then I don't have to do this, this, and this. You know right. what I mean? Because as parents, we do a lot for our kids. And I, I want them to just understand. I don't know what you think of this, but I want them to understand that, you know, it's a, it's a gratitude thing. It's an appreciation thing. It's a working as a team thing in that when you tidy up the table for us, that gives us more time to obviously spend with you when we... When you want us to do that and drive you around and to take you there and to, you know, when you want to come, like my son wanted to throw knives and they made like a, a dartboard out of a piece of uh, timber or like a pine tree that had been cut down and they want to do that for me. But when they don't do it for me, then I say to them, well, listen, if you're going to ask me to do something, then maybe I'll just say no. Right, right. <laughs> you know. These are realistic lessons that they need to learn and too many people are afraid to share those lessons with their kids because mm. it might make them feel bad. And And by the way, I'll say this about making kids feel bad. If you're worried about not disciplining or giving your child structure because you don't want them to feel bad, I would argue that you're probably doing it out of selfish reasons. Like you're, you don't care about them. That's not why you're doing it or not doing it. You're doing it to spare yourself from having a difficult conversation or it feeling uncomfortable or awkward or you feeling guilty about having to discipline them. It has less to do with your relationship with your child and more to do with the fact that you're trying to save yourself from any sort of emotional or mental hardship. Mm. But I mean, that's why it's important eh, to toughen yourself as a man. And I think what I've struggled with most is getting rid of the ego in my parenting. Do you know what I mean? Exactly that. Like my feeling when a child defies me, my feeling when it's not getting done like I want it to get done. You know what I mean? Instead of looking at the bonus, I was talking to Bert Soren about this actually, in that a lot of the times we discipline kids not out of what's best for them. And I think that what's best for them is often not them feeling good because I don't think the world 
is a place where it's, it cares about us feeling good. And I think it's, it's exactly related to the other point, right, about this positivity and people being victims and stuff is that they kind of people expect life to be easy and, and they expect life to just open up for them without anything happening. And I don't want to teach my kids that for sure. Yeah, I think there's an unrealistic expectation about what life has in store. And then these kids get out into the world and they get their their faces kicked in because like they haven't been prepared for it. They thought it was all bliss and that people would bend over and acquiesce to their every desire and demand and wish. And then they get into a boss situation and the boss is like, all right, well, you're fired. <laughs> and they're, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. they're like, wait, wait, what? Like, this is the real life consequence. Mom, yeah. dad. Yeah. <laughs> the, the idea is that you you allow your children to give them just enough rope, if you will, so that they won't hang themselves, but they'll still feel the pressure around their neck. Like you want them to feel <laughs> the pressure, but you don't want to put it in a situation where it could potentially be life altering or, or abusive, right? It's just enough rope to barely hang themselves with so that they mm. feel like, oh, okay, in a controlled environment, like this is what it feels yeah. like. If you strip them of the consequence, then they'll never understand the, or they'll never make the connection between action consequence and they need hmm. to understand that yeah but i also think they need to understand that the world is nothing that they can control i think school is is a perfect example of that i mean if you don't toughen up your son there's a very good chance he gets bullied it's a very good chance he doesn't stand up for that person you can moddy coddle him as much as you want at the age of you know 11 12 13 he goes to school and he's kind of on his own he's got his own cell phone or whatever i'm not a i'm not a fan of that i'm going to try to keep the cell phone away from my kids as long as possible but it's a very real it's a very real world out there man and it's tough and it is hard and i think that i want my kids to be ready for that and i think that they that that does take a bit of letting them feel the pain or letting them feel something you know instead of protecting them the whole time because i don't think it is protecting them right i don't think that's actually protecting no, that's a, that's a great point. It's not. You're actually hamstringing your children, right? You're, you're, you're crippling them. You know, you think about a wild animal that's injured, a bird, like an eagle, right? That bird's mm. injured, and so the, the wildlife rescue brings that bird in, and it feeds it, and it does everything for it, and it cuts its little food into pieces, and the bird doesn't need to hunt for food anymore, so it doesn't build up the strength and resiliency in its muscles and wings. And if they're not careful, and they do it for too long and too much, then that bird will never be released out into the wild ever. Mm. It will be there forever for the rest of its life. And yet we do the, the same thing to our children, which is why we have 30, 40 year olds, which I just saw yeah. something on our Facebook post the other day. And this guy is living, living with his girlfriend, longtime girlfriend. They have a kid, which that's a whole other conversation. Don't do that. But he's <laughs> living with his girlfriend and he, they have a, a, I think a one or two year child and the brother of his girlfriend is living with them. He's 30 plus years old and he's been living that with them for like eight or 10 years. And now he's bothered because this guy, the husband, uh, the, the boyfriend, I should say, it does all the dishes. He does all the repairs around the house. The boy, the brother doesn't pay rent. I'm like, why would he exert himself? You're wanting to exert himself. But for the last decade, you've been doing everything for him. That's your fault, man. Not his. I mean, yeah, he has some responsibility, but if you find yourself in a situation you aren't happy with, then correct it by like giving him some responsibility and a time frame for moving out on his own. But mm. this stuff's ridiculous, man. The reason we see these people at home for so long is because it's easier. It is definitely easier. If I was at home with my mom in her basement playing video games, it would definitely be easier 
than having a mortgage and responsibility and a job and a kid, kids and a wife to take care of and to feed and to, it's easier. So of course mm. that's the natural way we'd go. I'm sorry, I was just having a mental image of you down in a basement playing TV games. It's, this doesn't, yeah. it doesn't gel well. It doesn't well, compute, does it? <laughs> yeah. No, it's interesting because, I mean, the whole masculinity discussion, and, and as we've said on many podcasts now, actually, in the last month, is that no one's really been talking about toxic masculinity very much lately, actually, and under the current circumstances, because I think it's quite clear that, that these aspects of a man are good. And I just did a podcast, the solo one, about stoicism and masculinity and how if it's brought under the virtues of stoicism or it's brought under control of, of your mind and, and the things that you stand for, that it's necessary. Otherwise, we have guys ending up living with their mom till the age of 34. Then we got guys driving into crowds of people in Toronto because they can't get laid or do you know what I mean? Whereas people kind of think that expecting and raising our boys, because this is the thing that's really interesting is that I've got some other guys that have even been on this podcast that says, the pressure that we're putting on boys is the reason that we have all these terrible statistics, suicide, prison, all these things. Whereas I'm more tending to the side that the reason why we have all these statistics is because we aren't calling out the best in our boys and what our boys were born to be made. Because you were showing the picture, and it was so funny, Ryan, you showed the picture of your hands on your Instagram post, and I was thinking about doing the exact same thing the same day. So when you posted that, I was like, wow, and I thought... You know, lately I've been building a treehouse. I've been planting stuff. I've been pickaxing, sawing shit, you know, working in the garden. And my hands, my hands are like cut up and everything. And it feels damn good. It feels like it should be. Right. And I think that we're robbing our boys of that. And I think the great misunderstanding is, is exactly that. So if you want to elaborate on that, seeing that that is what you're talking to and what you're trying to call out in men and why you do the order of man in general. Yeah, I mean, what a shame that people believe that some sort of pressure is the issue. Right? Like... Like, so, or, or the one I, that I like, when I say that, I mean, I don't like is this, the mask of masculinity. Yeah. That's, right? that's what they talk about. Yeah. Like that, that any man that's trying to exert himself in the world, he, he's trying to improve within his career. He's trying to find an attractive, lovely woman to spend time with. He's trying to advance with his, his financial situation that somehow that's, that's some sort of mask that he's wearing. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't tell a, an up and coming pianist who's, who practices every day, who wants to, uh, orchestrate this, this beautiful piece and, 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 and just write music and play music that they're, they're somehow faking it or that they're dis, dis, uh, displaying some sort of toxicity by having this level of achievement. Right? You wouldn't tell uh, an athlete who's striving to become the best in his profession, his or her chosen profession, that they're wearing some sort of mask because they're trying to thrive and excel. But yet when you put it on a boy and you say, hey, I'm trying to harden him up. I'm trying to make him tough and resilient. I'm trying to expose him to hardship and things that are going to build up his strength and grit and resiliency. Then, then it's toxic. And there's nothing toxic. There's no mask about that at all. It's about helping men become capable. It's about helping them with all the tools and everything that they need to step up the way that they inherently and biologically know they should be and want to be stepping up into. Anybody who says like, well, you know, that's un unnecessary pressure, undue stress, and that's not really what they want, does not understand men. They don't understand men because either they're a woman so they'll never understand. Like, I can't tell you how often I hear from women on my Instagram page that respond to women to my posts. 
well, you know, you're being too hard on them, blah, 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 blah. Right, because you're a woman, which is great, by the way. Like, I'm not saying that there's is. anything wrong with that. I'm saying that's a feminine perspective, and that's lovely. We're talking yeah. about masculine perspective, which is not described as lovely, but is typically des described as strong or resolute or gritty or tough, right? And by the way, we need both. We need a level of empathy and compassion, kindness, love, and we need strength, tough, grit, and resilience. We need both, which is why I think every child should have a mother and father in the home. Again, that could be a whole other conversation that we can talk about. For sure. But um, yeah, it's not a mask. It's not some sort of like charade. It's not some sort of play that we're like putting on or we're trying to be macho men. It's, that's not what it is at all. It's already coursing through our veins. It's our job as men is to teach boys how to use it to produce effective outcomes for themselves and the people they ultimately care about, love, and have a responsibility for. And that's what we're trying to do. And you know, there's a lot of people who don't necessarily like that, but these people don't understand men. They don't have a desire to understand men. And they'd rather live in a utopian society where everybody just, I don't know, dances around naked and sings kumbaya and does whatever that is they do. Like, it's not life. So let's mm -hmm. harden these kids up for real life so that they can deal with it as it comes. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It sounds like people want to live with communism, which is, or Marxism, which is... <laughs> Really strange. Didn't really work very well anywhere else in the world. So I don't know why people well, kind of want this equal outcome thing. It's. it's I mean, the only reason you can say that is because you you were never the recipient of that. Like if you were, you would never, in a million years, catch yourself saying that this is what you want. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to talk about communism and Marxism and even socialism when you've never experienced it before. <laughs> so. Mm -hmm. But what do you think it is, this misunderstanding, number one, um, kind of ignoring the nuance of like a conversation? Because I, I know you for a while now, and I, I know your message, and I know you're totally for women, like 100%. And I know that that's the way I am. And I think it's it's wonderful. Whatever a woman chooses to do, it's wonderful. But I think a stay-at-home mom, it's a wonderful thing. And to, I just find it denigrates a little bit the role of a stay-at-home mom, the attitude at the moment. And I think that it needs to be free for anybody to choose and to follow their own path. And I feel there's this undue pressure even on women now, to take on masculine roles because if they don't, they're not seen as successful. Um, and then there's the other part of, of ignoring, um, I've got this book called Sapiens on the Shelf now, of, of ignoring like tens of thousands of years of biology and all of a sudden it's supposed to change in like five years that it just doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that women have, have been fed a bunch of bullshit that says that if you're not out in the workforce producing being a, a, a good member of society by producing goods and capital and resources, then you are inferior. I mean, what a shame. This, the, the best thing a woman can ever do is to raise her children, is to make her home, is to, to well, turn her house into a home and, and lead as a woman inside the walls of her home. Like that's the most noble thing a woman can possibly do. And by the way, I'm not knocking any woman who decides to go out in the workforce. That's fine yeah, too. No. But I'm just yeah, saying that, sure. that, I cannot think of a more noble and responsible, powerful role than that of a wife, a mother, and a homemaker. And fortunately, for the past mm. 12 years, since we had our son, our oldest son, uh, my wife has been able to do that. And I get sick of hearing from women, it's women, that women are doing it to themselves. Like my wife, every once in a while, talks about makeup. She says, I wish, I wish I didn't, we didn't have to wear makeup. I'm like, you know, you know men like, don't really care about that, right? Like, it's, it's you women who are doing it to yeah. yourselves. Like if all you women of the world got together and decided we're not wearing makeup anymore, 
Like you would liberate yourself. Guys aren't going to be like, oh my God, like nobody cares. Guys don't <laughs> care. Just you, no. you're trying to impress other women. But it's the same thing with feminism. Like women are doing it to themselves. You're undermining your own power, your own authority, your own effectiveness, your own motherly and womanly instincts. These, these extreme feminists are anything but beautiful and lovely and gracious and kind and ladylike and womanly. That's what I'm looking for. And my wife enjoys being that. And there's thousands of other women I've been in contact with who enjoy being women and don't see mm. men as the threat because we're not. Yeah. Your wife looks totally miserable, I must say. Yeah, she, well, you know, <laughs> some, sometimes, sometimes. No, no, I'm being sarcastic, man. She's totally happy. No, I think it's important. I think how do, we, how do we relate this to our kids? You know, how do we raise our kids to find their true meaning, their purpose, and to follow the role that they're supposed to be? I mean, one of the taglines you use as well is be the man you were meant to be. And that's because some, so many of us have lost, have lost our path and haven't had parents that have been intentional and present in that manner and modeled the roles of girls and boys and led them on the way. So how, how can we do that as, as moms and dads to really help our kids to get and find that path that they were meant to, meant to live? I think it's just about fostering whatever it is they're interested in. You know, and that takes effort and it takes resources and time and capital and attention. But ultimately, that is the objective is to, is to foster it. You know, my oldest, he, when he was younger, he said he wanted to be a cowboy animal doctor, <laughs> which is really cool. Um, and cool. so, yeah, <laughs> he wanted to be, he wanted to ride in the rodeo cool. is what he wanted yeah. to do and also be a veterinarian. That's what he wanted to do. So we now, went around. <laughs> What's that? Is he, is he into it now? Is he, is he forgotten? Still into animals, not much cowboys, but he's still <laughs> really, really into animals. Oh, sweet. Man. Yeah. So, but when he was younger, um, and, and the veterinarian thing was an interest of his, like I actually took him to veterinarian offices uh, that, that I knew and I'd call him up. I'd say, Hey, can we spend a day or a couple hours even with you? And they said, yeah, come on in. And I remember we went to one Dr. Whitwer and he, uh, he let my son see what it was like to extract teeth from a cat, which was actually very interesting. Mm. Um, he had a chameleon there and then he did, uh, spaying and neutering. And my son, he must've been eight, nine, 10 years old at the time. He got to see all of this and he loved it. You know, and that's our responsibility. If, if, if one of your children comes to you and says, Hey, I want to be an astronaut. Oh, okay, you know, tap him on the head and kick him out of the room. Good little boy, good little girl. No, like foster. Okay, well, what's it going to take? Let's research. Oh, you got a you got a fighter jet, a fighter jet, uh, you or you got to join the military. Well, let's go talk to somebody who's a, a fighter pilot and see what they have to say. Or let's go talk to somebody who's a NASA astronaut and see what it actually takes. Like foster that. Mm. Really start to walk down that path. Like it, it. That's our responsibility is to actually get involved with what they're interested in. You know, a lot of parents just end with, you can be anything that you want to be. And their kids come to them and says, okay, well, this is what I want to be. It's like, oh yeah, well, you can't really do that. <laughs> like that's what most parents do. But instead it's like, oh, okay, well, what do we have to do? Let's figure it out. Who do we know that's in that field? Or how can we explore this and create this new thing? Like that's our job as parents. And that's what I try to do with my kids. When they come to me and say they're interested in something, then I got to explore it. It's, it's my responsibility mm. to explore it for them or help them, you know, at least mm. facilitate it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got mixed feelings about that with my twins at the moment because my daughter wants to become a chef or said she wanted to become. So I, I did a bit of cooking with her tonight, actually. So I'm trying to foster that because that's pretty cool. And mm -hmm. She changed her mind. So, but my son wants to ride in Red Bull Rampage. And um, I don't know if you've seen that. That's in Utah, actually. Yeah, it's, it's uh, in my backyard. It's, it's, in, it's insane, in Virgin. Dude. It's, so, uh, it's 10 minutes from my house. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Well, wow, before man. I moved to Maine, it's, yeah. 
Those guys, man, they're insane. It's brilliant, but I don't know. So that's going to be... Well, he's mountain biking. We'll see where he goes. I'll try to protect him. But anyway, Ryan, I mean, we, we're getting close to time now. It's been amazing. It's been awesome. I think you want to talk just a little bit about your book and, and especially legacy. I'd like to hear or you tell the guys about the legacy that you run for dads and sons. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah, so the book is Sovereignty, The Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Men. So in it, I talk about some external, but mostly I focus on the internal threats that we face as men and how we can recapture our own independence and liberty and sovereignty. So you can check that out. And then we've got the uh, the legacy event is what you're talking about, I think, which yeah, is a father-son yeah. event. Uh, we've got, we do, you know, two two of them per year. Uh, they're they're postponed at this, at this moment. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's three and a half days of dads with their boys. They come here to Maine. Um, they stay on the property itself. We've got a barn and so they'll stay in the barn. And we do physically, mentally, emotionally demanding and challenging tasks and adventures and projects and assignments. And there's winners and there's losers. And we recognize all of it and we acknowledge all of it. We facilitate conversations between the boys and their dads. And for three and a half days, it's uh, our goal is to just foster a stronger, deeper, more connected relationship between father and son. It's one of my favorite uh, events. And we've mm. done probably a dozen events at this time, at this time, three or wow. four different types of events. Uh, but the legacy event is by far my, my favorite experience. Yeah, I've always been amped to do that. I've got yeah. a bit of money lying around now because we canceled Cape Town holidays and all this stuff. We're actually yeah. saving money during. We're actually saving a lot of money during this pandemic. I don't have to drive to school at the moment, so yeah. there's a lot of positives. But yeah, no, I encourage. Here. Yeah, I mean, I'd encourage guys to do that. I'd love to do that. I'm a little bit far away, so hopefully, I can someday hook that up. And then I wanted to ask you something, just as we end here. I want to ask who are the three most impactful people that podcast that you listen to. If you had to label the top three podcasts you listen to that you'd recommend to guys, what would they be? Um, hmm. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, Brian Rose with London Real is one. Um, that's one I listen to quite a bit. Uh, ben Shapiro is another one that I listen to okay. quite a bit. Yeah. And is this what is that the question you're asking me? Is like what yeah, shows yeah, do I yeah. listen to? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, man, I listen to probably the third is Rogan. I would say. Okay. Good. Yeah. You listen to him as well. Yeah. And then three books. What are the three most influential or most impactful books that you've read along your path? Uh, Order of Man. Wild at Heart is one by John Eldridge. Uh, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. And As a Man Thinketh by James Allen. Those I have the them three. all. Do you good? good. <laughs> I've got them, bro. Those I just are... got As a Man Thinketh. It's awesome, eh? Amazing a, stuff in that's there. That's a quick read. You should read that a couple of times a year. It's really good to, yeah. to consider what you think about is what comes to fruition. So, Cool, man. And then just some parting advice, man. A couple parting advice on being the man that you're meant to be and stepping up to provide, preside, and... Protect, yeah. Pr protect. Almost um, forgot about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Advice. What would I... I mean, there's so much, right? We can, we can just do a whole podcast on advice. <laughs> yes. Sorry, man. <laughs> no, I'm just trying to think of what would be most relevant based on our conversation. You know, ultimately, it's just I think if you were a little bit more deliberate and intentional about how you spent your time, then you'd have a lot mm. more success. You know, we wake up. Most of us don't have plans or any anything that we're trying to accomplish. And we kind of just go where the wind takes us and where other people demand our time and attention. We let other people dictate what our schedule is and how we spend our time. But, man, what if you just took 20 minutes every single morning and just wrote down I want to do this, 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 and this. You had a good calendar system that you plugged a dates and events and things that you wanted to accomplish in. You blocked out time for yourself and for other people as you wanted to serve and the things that you wanted to accomplish. I just feel like intentionality would go such a long way and it's something that is so overlooked. 
And then we wonder, you know, we look back on our life, 5, 10, 20 years down the road, and we wonder, why didn't I get to where I wanted to go? Because you let everybody else dictate where you should go. So you ought to be the author and the, resp- the, the, the driver, if you will, of your own life. And that's mm-hmm. how you do it, by being more intentional. Cool, man. So where can guys go to find out more about you, connect with you? Yeah, uh, Order Man Podcast is a great place. Like I said, we've done roughly 600 or so podcasts now, Three of which, 300 of which are interviews. Uh, so you can check that out, Order of Man. And then hit me up on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all at Ryan Mickler. And you can find us between those several resources. Mm. Cool, man. Thanks a lot. I really wanted to say thanks uh, for setting me on this road. I started this, like I said, during the Iron Council was part of my battle plan wanted to get into that a little bit more but thanks so much for the role you played in my life thanks for coming on the show and sharing your story with other guys and yeah good luck with everything that you do thanks and, Tom. Uh, hopefully this pandemic ends soon and we can all start hanging out together again huh yeah i'm sure i'm sure it'll happen not in, in the not too distant future but i really appreciate the opportunity thanks for having me on man. cool brother so that wraps up my conversation with Ryan Mickler. I think you can all agree with me that that episode had so much that we can put into action as fathers, husbands, and men in general to improve in all those roles. Just want to say thanks to all of you that have been supporting us. Thanks to those of you who are new. Please go check us out on Instagram at the Dad Syndicate and our Dad Syndicate Arena Facebook group. Give this show a rating wherever you listen and maybe a review. And remember that you can also see our podcast or listen to our podcast, The Dad Stoic, that comes out on Monday. And we'll have our Q&A coming out next week again with a little bit of a new format. So once again, thanks a lot. And remember that all the time, energy and hard work that you put into being the man that your family need and deserve is always going to be worth it. So be better, do better, have better. 